Hey, this is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo, and the name of the show is Across the Pond. Here we are on the east coast of the United States. that's where we record this, and we're, we record it on the campus of Cabrini University, which is uh, traditionally a Catholic school right across the street from Eastern University, uh, uh, traditionally an evangelical school, although we're all mixed up these days. But we're, uh, uh, we're, we love talking about red-letter Christianity. Tony Campolo and I have been a part of this uh, movement that we call red-letter Christians because the old Bibles have the words of Jesus highlighted in red. And we're very concerned about the state of uh, Christianity, particularly uh, white evangelicalism in the United States. And uh, there's a lot of things that camouflage themselves as Christian, but they don't look too much like Jesus. Uh, like I, I sometimes say in our community, we get a lot of donated food and it has to, ta- it has to pass the sniff test. And uh, there's a lot of things that uh, are called Christianity, but they don't smell like D- Jesus. They don't pass the, smith- the sniff test. And so we um, are glad that you're joining us. There's a lot of folks that have almost given up on Christianity because of those contradictions and uh, hypocrisies that we see. But we, we really believe there's something new and fresh happening. Um, and there's all kinds of folks that embody that uh, in in beautiful ways. So we get to have a lot of guests on our show. And this week we've got uh, a really incredible brother. Uh, he's a uh, his name's Andre Henry, and he is a writer, speaker, musician. He's a friend. Uh, we've been together on quite a few occasions, and um, he uh, does a lot of organizing with Evangelicals for Social Action. ESA, which is a, a pretty great organization that started what, like twenty years oh, ago? Oh no, the, more than that. You, you, <laughs> you got to go. We got to go like fifty years ago. I think you did yeah. just have a celebration of fifty years. With Ron Sider yeah, and others Ron have been Sider. a part of all that. I mean, I was a part of that in the very beginning. And you know, back then we were voices crying in the wilderness, and the idea that evangelicals should have any interest in social justice was absurd to most people's thinking. But the truth is that things have changed. And now uh, that uh, the situation is that evangelicals are concerned about poor people, but they are not sufficiently focused on the need to bring about structural changes in government and in social policy. So but, we're, we're going to bring Andre into the conversation. Hey, buddy, thanks for uh, joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. And, and you, you know, you're, you're speaking and writing about a lot of different stuff, nonviolent struggles, social change, but especially anti-racism. You do this. Uh, tell us a little bit about your um, uh, platform. It's all on your website, Andre R. Henry, right? But how can folks connect up with what you're doing? And, and we would also like to get your reflections on the racial situation in the United States today from your perspective. Thankfully, we have like 20 minutes to do all this. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, man. Welcome. Go, go at it, brother. Go at it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, I'm I'm honored to be here with you guys. Um, I remember reading your books uh, when I was in college and and whatnot. So to be able to spend time with you guys um, in some of the different settings that we've been in and and now on on the show is like a it's a big honor for me. Um, yeah. So like about me, I I started really seriously writing about racial justice a few years ago when I saw a young man um, who was shot in front of his 
girlfriend and their four-year-old daughter on Facebook Live, you bleed to death. And um, the issue of police brutality really activated me to feel like I need to invest my body in some way in the fight for racial justice. Mm. And over the years, I've been really studying specifically how can people work together to change social injustices that they see, in my case, um, you know, white supremacy. Um, and to, to your question, Tony, that what I see happening is a global resurgence of enthusiasm for white nationalism and white supremacy. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that sometimes we forget that white supremacy origin, like even though we see its most virulent forms, we have seen its most virulent forms in the U.S., that white supremacy began in Europe, <laughs> uh, and it was exported to the rest of the world. So I, I think that um, I think that when I speak with people who live abroad, live outside the state, um, that there's this tendency for people to say, "Oh well, well we're not we're not racist because, or we don't struggle with racism or white supremacy because that's something that happens in the U.S. because we see it most obviously, most violently here." Um, but it's something that we've been seeing, you know, um, in the Christchurch shooting in New mm. Zealand. I think that was earlier this year. Um, in Poland last year, there was this huge white nationalist ra- rally where they were chanting uh, Nazi slogans and, and things like that. And so what's happening in America, I think, is part of a larger context, you know, of this global resurgence of white supremacy. So tell us a little bit about where you see the hope for resistance to that, because I, I think we're seeing that everywhere, that even though there is sort of this uh, this uh, white lash of uh, extremism and of uh, um, almost a desperation of a last gap of, um, uh, of, of versions of Christianity that are you know, kind of more committed to Trump than to Jesus, like that, all that, like in the middle of that, there's some really beautiful stuff happening and you, you, you have a good pulse for that. So where are you seeing hope, particularly within like the, the spiritual movements in the, in, in the church outside of white evangelicalism? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, um, just in general, what has given me hope to even start the work years ago was understanding that, um, at one point, it would have been it would have been like controversial for you and I to even be having this conversation, just because I I have brown skin and and you have lighter skin, right? Um, and the world has changed so much in that way because of the organizing of ordinary people, and many of those people being uh, people of faith at the at the vanguard of that of that movement, the civil rights movement in the U.S. Um, and that's happened all over the world through nonviolent movements in uh, the Philippines and in Palestine and in Serbia and and whatnot. So hey, you know what? What before time. you go on, I have in my book in my bag with me, bro, is is uh, uh, Ron Sider's book, Nonviolent Action. So you're working. You know, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But Evangelicals for Social Action. But he he does this beautiful job of painting a historic picture of nonviolent movements. He talks about the Philippines, talks about um, all kinds of stuff. So that, I mean, that's that's pretty sweet, right? There's there's that that history, yeah. but it's also happening right now too, right? Yeah. And and before yes, you exactly. comment on that, I just want to say. There is a sense in which those of us who are old white men, and nobody's more of an old white man than Tony Campolo at 85 years of age, <laughs> but let me just say, uh, there is an awareness of 
the place that we've dominated uh, leadership uh, in social justice movements, and the time has changed, come for us to step aside. So ESA, Evangelicals for Social Action, now has an executive director that is an Asian woman. And uh, Red Letter Christians, which is our movement, is shifting as much as possible to a fe- female uh, leadership that we hope is going to be African-American. And so there's an, uh, an awareness that there needs to be a stepping aside for white leadership and making room for uh, people of color taking over the organizations that are promoting social justice. Can you speak to that, perhaps out of your own experience? Or even joining their organizations too, right? Yeah, go ahead, Andre. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that um, we're seeing like the Poor People's Campaign, you know, being one of those movements that is led by Reverend Dr. Uh, William Barber, you know, and, and that gives me a lot of hope right now. But also, you know, something that gives me hope right now is that I think that, it, at least in America, I can say, there are more white people than at any point in American history that actually want to be anti-racist. <laughs> and um, that actually gives me a lot of hope. And I think that's mm. partly why you see some of, some of these organizations that are saying, you know what, we've had white leadership for years, and it's time that we actually step aside and allow people of color you know, to actually share power, because that really is the problem with white supremacy, is that it's an issue of power, not so much about um, separation or division. It's that, you know, people of color and black people need to be able, uh, need to be empowered in our society to lead. And um, I think that my my experience with Relevant Magazine, which I know that you mentioned you want to talk about um, highlights that a bit. Yeah, that. let's talk about that. Just just to, to break real quick, though, for folks that might be joining us, is uh, uh, we're, we're talking with Andre Henry, and, and I don't know that we mentioned it, Andre, but you're an African-American young man, 34 years old. I think that some of that's kind of important for folks that may not know you, um, but you, 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 can't, you were um, uh, working with Relevant Magazine, and um, some of these things surface through that. So keep, keep going, bro. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I was working at Relevant Magazine, one of the you know largest Christian media platforms in in the world, and we I kind of encountered that very thing that we're talking about, uh, where we talk about how this is about power, in the sense that um I was invited to come and be the managing editor, and as soon as I started making decisions, <laughs> it surprised the CEO. And they took all decision-making power away from me when I wanted to post something every day for Black History Month. And it raised this really interesting conversation, not just with folks uh, that were consuming relevance content, but I was speaking with some folks that were still in the office after I wrote an article about it, and it kind of went viral and whatnot. And the thing that people would say is, well, I don't think that the CEO was a racist. And I would say it doesn't actually matter like how the CEO feels about Black people. What matters is whether or not they're actually listening to the needs of black people and people of color and responding um, with action and with compassion and whether or not they're willing to share power, you know, to let what they're hearing from people of color actually change the nature of their organization and what they're doing. Mm. And that's very much where uh, the Red Letter Christian movement uh, is uh, going. We're we're really doing all the kind of self-examination uh, that you're talking about of uh, white people saying we we had money, we had power. Uh, is it time for us to move aside and let the wealth and the power 
belong to the people who have been oppressed. And as we strive to do that, uh, we have to deal with ourselves. I, I know in my own case, when people say, well, Campolo, you're not a racist. Well, yeah, but I search my soul every day because yeah. uh, I don't think it's as simple as saying I've changed my mind. There are rudiments of mm. racism that continue right. to fester in my subconscious Rooting them out and dealing with them is an ongoing process. Getting rid of racism isn't something that you do with a snap of the finger. It's something that you have to uh, deal with day in and day out because it's been absorbed into our consciousness. Yeah, and Michelle Alexander, if uh, you know, she does great work with this in in all of her writing, but her her kind of landmark book, uh, The New Jim Crow, she talks about racism as a a system of privilege based on color, you know, and so we when we think of benefiting from uh, uh, systemic racism, it, it's less about individual biases and about an entire society that has a history and the residue of that history that continues to be very alive in, in almost every aspect of our yes. society. So it's not just about uh, wearing a MAGA hat or wh- whether you call someone a racial slur or laugh at a, a terrible you know joke, but it's it's, I think, looking at how these these things affect our systems. I, I think of that Freakonomic study where they they put identical resumes out to executives, mm-hmm. right? And um, the, the only thing different was, was the names. And one name right. sounded, you know, white, and one name sounded like a non-white name. And so uh, over and over, you know, Jason gets the job over Jamal, uh, and Matthew gets the job over Muhammad, and, uh, you know, Shannon gets the job over Shaniqua. And, you know, you see that kind of in our policing systems and in, in, in almost every aspect of society, right, Andre? And that's why when people say, yeah. you know, people that know Donald Trump, they say he does doesn't have a racist bone in his body. I mean, I'd probably question that, but I like how Alexandria Cortez, she goes, I don't care about his bones. I care about his policies. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. yeah. Right. You know, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, when we think about racism, it's, I think it's better for us to think about it like a train track, you know, mm. and it's like, you may not be the conductor of the train, but you're riding it. You know? Right. You know, right. You're, That's you're, a good you're illustration. headed that direction. You know, so the thing that we need to do is get off of that track, because as long as we're on it, it will continue to yield the same outcomes. Yeah. And, you, you know, so as you as you're thinking about this, you know, some folks would say evangelicalism is not redeemable, the word anyway. Like, you know, the history yeah. is beautiful at parts. Um, uh, but you, you, I'm interested in your take on this, Andre. Um, as an African-American man working for an organization called, I mean, it's not your only hat that you wear, but Evangelicals right. for Social Action. That's kind of in the name of, of that organization. And, um, uh, you know, how, how do you wrestle with, with uh, whether we try to redeem evangelicalism or just obviously red letter Christians, we've kind of uh, vacated the, the fight to redeem the name. And we, we really just right. want, want to center ourselves on Jesus as the corrective of what's gone wrong. But tell us about that. Are you comfortable with the name evangelical or um, is that something you feel like we need to yeah. redeem or what? Yeah, I, I am with uh, transparency. I'd say I am uncomfortable with the name evangelical because of 
you know, what we're seeing, you know, especially the enthusiasm of 81% of evangelicals for... White evangelicals. Yeah, white evangelicals, right, yeah. White evangelicals, sorry. Um, A clear, you know, allegiance with this kind of white nationalist movement in America. Um, I don't think that the best use of our time is to necessarily uh, try to clear the reputation of the word, you know, Um, but I will say that I'm a person of hope, and so even if it's just a small margin, it's a crack in the door, right? And so there is a road to where white evangelicals even could possibly redeem themselves, but it's a narrow road, and the cost is high. You know, um, it's it's the call of the gospel, right? Yeah. Um, and that possibility is there. Um, I don't. I don't look. It doesn't look likely like they'll take it because it it is the you know if you want to be saved, you have to sell everything you have. You have to forsake everything and follow Jesus, you know, and that is the call. So just a, a second to reintroduce our guest. Uh, this, uh, this is uh, Andre Henry that we're talking with, and this uh, Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo um, uh, are, you know, we're, we're having this great conversation around um, uh, not just race, but the state of Christianity, I think, in the midst of the kind of uh, identity crisis that we, we see happening in the church. And, um, uh, you know, as we think about evangelicalism, um, there's a good book I would I would uh, recommend for folks that are interested in this. Some folks just don't want to, you know, think about it, or they didn't grow up in the church, they're not deconstructing these things or whatever. But there's a great book called Still Evangelical, uh, with a big question mark on the front. Uh, <laughs> and I contributed a chapter, Lisa Sharon Harper, who's a, on the board and is a big part of Red Letter Christians, and, and a whole bunch of other writers with all different perspectives on this idea of should we reclaim the, the term evangelical. Um, but here's the bigger concern for me, Andre, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, is there are a lot of folks that are deconstructing white evangelicalism um, but they're not reconstructing something new. Like they're leaving something, but they're not going anywhere. There's, so there's this kind of whole ex-evangelical uh, thing that um, it, it still kind of allows the colonization of Christianity by one particular form of fundamentalism or you know evangelicalism and doesn't kind of invite people into a liberating spirituality of, you know, like recognizing that there's all kinds of Christians, even in the U.S., you know, as we talk about evangelicals, um, over a third of folks who would traditionally be evangelical are not white, and 70% or more of those are not supporters of Donald Trump, but that's kind of the lost evangelicalism in all of it. So, you know, as you are... Uh, navigating some of this, uh, what, what, what's your your take on some of that? As you see folks leaving evangelicalism um, uh, and deconstructing things that, in some ways, twenty year olds haven't even constructed. Like the young people in my neighborhood, they 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 didn't grow up going to Sunday school, so they're not like un, you know unpacking these things. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I think that when you when you grow up inside of evangelicalism. It's easy to to kind of um, at least act as though this is this like evangelicalism and Christianity are the exact same thing. Like it's the only game in town. 
Um, and that's certainly how I felt. And I think I was trained to believe that because what, growing up in evangelicalism, it was like I heard people say regularly that other, you know, traditions were not really Christian in some way, right? And so um, when you're deconstructing that kind of belief where that's kind of been the only thing that you maybe have been a part of or been aware of, or at least you thought it was superior to others, then it's hard to know that there is any other place for you to go. And so you think you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I went through that as well, you know, um, when I realized just how deep the roots of white supremacy go into evangelicalism. For a while, I thought, well, maybe Christianity is just for white people. Um, mm. But I had to come, I had to, well, I didn't have to, but somehow I, I, I went back through kind of what I knew or what I had read in Scripture and saw this, this liberating uh, tendency of God, like in the Exodus story or mm. the subversive nature of the Genesis story or the, or the prophets and their commitment to justice and saw, okay, well, clearly this is wrong. But then also realizing, like we talked about, people like Dr. King and Nat Turner and um, so many, you know, people of color and freedom fighters that fought for the abolition of slavery were fought for the, you know, to, to get out of the, the, this, this penchant for war. There, for, every, uh, for every slave-owning Christian, you know, there, there are several Christian abolitionists, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, there are other places to go. Yeah. You know, and to be to where you don't have to throw your Christianity away if that's important to you. Um, and you can care about justice <laughs> and yeah. be a Christian at the same time. Mm. That's why we ask people to go to our website, redletterchristians.org, and there's a place where you can sign on and identify yourself as a Red Letter Christian. And now the reason why we started the movement is because, like you, we think that the word evangelical in the general culture in the society outside of the church is assumed to be <laughs> to everyone other than evangelical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The people outside the the media, for instance, say evangelical. That equates to pro-Trump, uh, pro-guns, right. pro-war, pro, pro uh, anti-environmentalism. Uh, you know, uh, right. and and we're saying, wait a minute. We believe in the doctrines of the Apostles' Creed. We have this high view of Scripture. We believe salvation comes by surrendering yourself to the resurrected Christ and inviting Him into your life. But we are not pro-Trump. We are not. And they say, but this is what the media says you yeah. are. And we're saying, well, right. maybe we need a new name. Name, well, and that's why we came up with Red Letter Christians as the new name. And they, it's interesting because they, the you know, a lot of the news has. Uh, difficulty with nuance, you know, and so now they say, well, yeah. this is the progressive left. And um, mm -hmm. I don't know, we're, we're kind of uncomfortable with that. What, what, what do you see happening as you look at the landscape of Christianity, especially as like a 34-year-old, a you know, as you're looking in on some of this, what, what do you see that's happening? Like maybe one way of thinking about it is, what do you think 10 years, 20 years from now, um, the church will look like? Oh, that's a really great question. You know, um, I, I can speak from my own experience that um, uh, when my neighbor J.R. Thomas was—he's a—he was a mentally ill man, and he called the police. He called nine one one because he was afraid he was going to harm himself. And eight Pasadena police officers beat him to death in response to that call. Oh my! And in response to that, um, in, in response to those events, my friend and I—we organized a a protest at the doors of the Pasadena police station, which turned into a prayer vigil that lasted for a year. Um, every Whoa. week we would meet there 
for subver- for what we call the subversive liturgy. Wow. And what what ended up happening at this at this weekly gathering was we gathered so many different types of people from at first just from different traditions of Christianity. I mean, episcopals with vineyard folks and most of them, you know, leaders, pastor, mm. pastors who couldn't some of them couldn't really talk about justice or couldn't talk about it to the extent that they needed to in their churches. But then it started we started attracting rabbis and mm. <laughs> and, other, and folks of other of other faith. And we were gathered around, you know, this call this call of justice outside, you know, in in public. And I started thinking around that time and I still think this that uh my my impression is that Christianity in the future uh, <clears throat> is going to be more of these organic spaces where people are connecting and 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 it has to be on the ground right mm. it can't be this kind of intellectualizing spirituality or this vague like platonic spirituality that where everything is in the abstract but if christianity has a future it has to be connected to the events of the neighborhood it has to bring people together and it has to be obviously a force for good in society. Wow, that's a good word. I, I, I hate to cut you off. We got to have you back, man. We've had Andre Henry as our guest on the show and he just described what we're about, I think, uh, so beautifully that one of my neighbors said, when we think of Jesus as the incarnation, she says, my first language is Spanish mm. and it means con carne with meat. So Jesus put mm, meat wow. on God's love, and we are to be the flesh of, of Jesus alive in the world as his church. So we're out of time, but thanks for joining us. This is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. Our guest has been Andre Henry. <laughs>